Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see your faces in real life and not on my phone or my computer screen. It's awesome. It's good to see you guys. Um, before I get started, um, I first I want to say, um, you know, I realize that some of you probably have no idea how I ended up here. Um, I have known the Bellis family for 22 years. Can you believe that? And that might not seem too long to some of you, but that's more than half of my life. So um, it's pretty awesome. When I, I went to Florida, to Christian International, to go to Bible college, and on the first day of registration, it was kind of like an open time period, and I went over to register, and this girl showed up, and we started talking, and I found out she was from Washington, Pennsylvania. And I said, huh. I was born in Wheeling. And so we went to dinner, and um, that was Christy, and that was, that was the beginning of something wonderful. I probably would have been October then that I met Pastors Craig and Wendy, and um, it's just been really an honor and a blessing to have you all in my life, the whole Bellis family. Um, I just love you guys so much, and it's an honor to be able to minister this morning um, I spent 15 years at Christian International and um, good years, but, you know, like any place, there's ups and downs. And about seven years ago, um, probably almost eight now, just some things started happening and there was a lot of um, unsettledness in me and I was like, God, you've got to do something. You, you either have to do something to confirm that I have to stay here get to, but have to stay here, or that I get to leave. And um, when you're, I was, I was on staff, and when you're um, an integral part of a ministry, um, even a prophetic ministry, I think prophetic people are afraid to be the one to say it's your time to leave, especially when you're like the CEO's assistant and, you know, all sorts of other stuff. And um, I saw that it was November. This was November of 2012. I saw that um, Prophet Ed was going to be here. And I texted Christy and I said, I, I need a word. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. And um, so she, I said, if there's any way, if there's any way, no pressure, but if there's any way. And um, a couple days after Prophet Ed was here, I got um, a voice message. And Pastor Craig, when they sat down to lunch, said, hey, can you give our friend a word? And the first, like within the first couple seconds, he said, your time there is coming to an end. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. No offense if anyone from CI happens to be watching this. I still love you, but it was time to go. <laughs> and so I started praying. I'm like, okay, God, so what am I supposed to do? You know, my mom was gone. You know, do I... Um, I thought about going to Baton Rouge. My best friends lived there. I talked to my friends. She said, we're actually going to be moving. I'm like, well, I'm not going to Baton Rouge then. So I started praying, and I was like, God, I don't know. You don't exactly know what to do. So I came home for Christmas, and I spent some time with um, Andrew and Christy and, you know, my family, and it just felt right to be back in this area. It felt right. It always felt good to be here. Whenever I came to visit and I would come, I'd sob through worship, and um, it always just felt like home. And so I remember we were sitting around the table at, at Christy's house, and Pastor Craig looks at me, and he goes, so, when are you moving back? And I said, I'm thinking August. <laughs> and I was here in May of 2013, and um, I just want to thank you guys for um, 
just being there for accepting me as part of your family as like the fifth daughter and really the whole family. I love you guys so much. So anyway, I want to take that opportunity and I'm surprised I got through that without crying because when I was thinking about it last night, I was sobbing. So anyway, let's pray before we get started. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your heart, to share what you want to speak to your people. Lord, I thank you for this new season that we're walking in. I thank you that it's nothing like anything we have ever seen before. God, I thank you that your thoughts are higher than ours. Your ways are higher than ours, God, and you have a plan, and you are working something out that we can't even begin to fathom, God, but we step into we step into your plan, God, and we ask that you would just show us what to do. Lord, I pray that um, only your words would come out of my mouth, Father God, that I wouldn't say anything dumb and that I would not stick my foot in my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. I have foot and mouth disease, so I apologize now because sometimes I say dumb stuff. Okay, so I'm going to ask a couple questions, and I would like you all to... Um, Raise your hand boldly if this applies to you, because I want you to look around and see that you are not alone, okay? Have you ever struggled with your purpose? Okay. Have you ever wondered if you're doing the right thing? Have you ever wondered if you are who you're supposed to be? I don't know why, but when I think about this, it reminds me of, like, one of the first episodes of Friends, and... Um, uh, the character Rachel has left her fiancé at the altar, and she's on the phone with her dad, and he, she says, it's like, all my life I've been a shoe. I'm a shoe, I'm a shoe, I'm a shoe. But I want to be a purse. Or something. I might have that flipped around. Anna's looking at me like, you're not quoting that quite right. <laughs> so if you've ever felt like, I'm a shoe, but I don't really think I'm a shoe, is that you? I mean, I'm not saying you really felt like a shoe, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you felt like... I, I don't know if I'm who I'm supposed to be. So have you ever felt that you know what your purpose is, but you don't feel qualified? Or you feel like you've just blown it beyond repair? Have you ever tried so hard to make a fresh start, but you feel like the only thing that people can remember is what you did in your past? How about, have you ever struggled because you thought you knew what your purpose was in your position, but others didn't see it? Or maybe you just didn't think there was room for you because you thought somebody else is already doing it. They're doing it so much better than I could or would or ever. Anybody else? Okay. So I've been there. I've been there for all of those things. Um, I do want to share a couple stories and not... None of this is a, oh, poor Kara, she's been through so much. But I share it because the thing that I know the best is the things that I have lived. And um, so it's funny, this morning we were getting ready to, to practice, and um, Johnny and I didn't have microphones yet. And both Ashley and Charlie joked that neither Johnny or I really needed microphones. <laughs> and this is true. I um, but what's funny is there's actually a time in my life when I was very quiet. And when I would sing, you could not hear me. 
And I realize that is extremely hard for people to understand, for people to believe. But it is actually true. Um, before going to Florida for Bible college, I, um, I lived in Columbus, Ohio. Um, we went to Rod Parsley's church, World Harvest Church out there. And I started in youth choir when I was 12 years old. And I love to sing. I mean, my whole life I loved to sing. I used to um, stand on our, our, our hearth and, and do shows for my family and sing and dance along with Kids Incorporated, if anybody else remembers Kids Incorporated. Um, what's hilarious is that my daughter is like, she might look like my husband, but she is me. She is like this little miniature. She is constantly singing. She's like her own walking musical, and that was me when I was little. Um, but so, in it, so I'm in this youth choir, and there's a bunch of us, and um, at the time, I was a soprano. And I don't know, in my weird 12, 13-year-old brain, like, that was the part to sing, was to sing soprano. And for whatever reason, because I was too quiet, it, it occurred to the choir director that she should move me to alto. I don't know why, but that was devastating to me. I felt like, I can't do this. I can't sing. I'm a terrible singer. What am I doing? So I share that because I've been called to worship. I've been called as a worship leader. I've led worship. And, but there were all of these things like in my life that the enemy came to try and take me off of that purpose and convince me that I wasn't actually called, that I wasn't actually qualified, that I wasn't any good. And, um, and I had to decide to push through that. Um, there are two setups that are happening for all of us. There's God's setup to put us in the place that he's called us to, and there's the enemy's setup to do everything in his power to keep us from being there. So a couple other things that happened, like the first time I sang a solo in, in youth church, I was so nervous. I mean, who wouldn't be? Come on. And um, so I sang my solo, and afterwards, the choir director's son started telling me all of the things that his mom said about, about my solo and how nervous I looked and how I, could, didn't, how I was shaking and I didn't stand still and all this stuff. And I was like, thanks. That was the last time I sang a solo there, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> um, so there were, there were a lot of things like that that happened. I remember later on, um, you know, talk about being a loud mouth. Um, when Christy and I started attending the youth ministry down at CI, um, I don't think either one of us thought, oh, we're going to join the worship team. We were just like, oh, we're here. We're going to be youth leaders, whatever. We were so loud that the um, worship leader came up to us after service one day and said, um, we need you to join the team because you're louder than our singers that have microphones. <laughs> so God turned that around. But um, eventually I ended up, you know, being a part of that team and the leader was leaving. He was going, he was a couple years younger than me and he was going to England for school and stuff and um, I, England, woo. Um, uh, the, the, the youth pastor was, you know, looking at setting me in as the worship leader, but the worship leader didn't want that to happen because I didn't play an instrument. 
So something I've struggled with all through my worship leading experience is that I'm not really qualified to be a worship leader because I don't play an instrument. Oh, see, that wasn't supposed to be an awe. I'm just making a point that there's always something that the enemy is going to do to try to dissuade you, to try to make you feel like you're not qualified. I mean, even getting ready to speak, I was like, are you sure? Because I could stick my foot in my mouth and say something really goofy or offend someone and not mean to. Um, you know, there's other things. Like, I was talking with Pastor Johnny, and I was saying, you know, growing up in the charismatic Pentecostal church that I grew up in, there was this understanding, and I heard it said from the pulpit that women only held positions of ministry and of leadership because there was a man that refused to fill that spot. I mean, how discouraging is that? How discouraging is it to grow up and not see a female ever called pastor? To only be known as Mrs. or, you know, the first lady or sister or whatever, but not to be referred to as pastor. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe, maybe I can't preach because I'm a woman. Um, later, I was, oh, I want to tell this story. Okay, so talking about putting my foot in my mouth, okay? This is really, seriously, I do it a lot. Um, so I, uh, I had an opportunity to go with my pastors from Florida to minister at Mercy Ministries. Anybody familiar with Mercy Ministries? Okay, nobody is. <laughs> Three people. So Mercy Ministries is, um, it's actually now, I believe, called Mercy Multiplied. It was started by Nancy Alcorn. It's a ministry for... Um, young women, I believe their cutoff is 29, 28, 29, something like that. Um, people that have, you know, had drug issues, um, alcohol issues, been human trafficked, sexually abused, like all of those things. Um, had babies, you know, gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And um, I had the opportunity to go minister with them at the home in Tennessee, which is the only of all of the Mercy, Mercy Multiplied Homes, it's the only one that can take girls that are underage. So their girls there start at age 16. Something about the laws, I don't know. So I actually, they invited me to go. I got to share and I got to prophesy, you know, minister, pray over the girls. So it was my turn to share. And you know, people often mistook me for my pastor's daughter, which was fine, except me. I get up and I say, I'm not actually their daughter. They were married a year after I was born, so it's just not possible. <laughs> Let's go back to the fact that I was in a room full of women that Half of them had had children out of wedlock. I was like, why? Why did I say that? I didn't really mean anything by it. I didn't judge them at all, but I was like foot in mouth. And so I was like, you know what? That's it. I shouldn't be allowed to speak in front of people because I cannot be trusted with what is going to come out of my mouth. So does everybody promise right now to forgive me and not be offended if I say something dumb? <laughs> um... So there have been a lot of struggles like that. And I say all that to say that if you have felt those struggles, you are not alone. 
We are all in this together. We're all battling the same setup of the enemy to keep us out of our place. Um, I want to talk about the Levites, but before I do, I want to set a little bit of um, history with their um, famous ancestor, Levi. He was the third son of Jacob and Leah, and um, his name actually means attached because uh, Leah was hoping that since she gave her husband Jacob a third son, she was giving him sons that he would love her. Because if you remember the story, Jacob had worked for um, Rachel and Leah's father and had been promised that he would get to marry Rachel, who he loved. And uh, the dad pulled a bait and switch. And at the altar, there was Leah. And so then he had to work another seven years before he got Rachel. Rachel was the one he really loved, but Rachel couldn't, was having trouble having children. And Leah was giving him lots of children and was really hoping that this third son would seal the deal and her husband would love her. Um, the thing is, Levi was kind of a jerk. Um, he was known for his violence, um, for being violent and claiming it as justice. Um, their sister was taken advantage of a man named Shechem. And Levi and Simeon decided that they were going to take revenge on Shechem's whole city. And they convinced the men of the city to circumcise themselves. And while they were recovering, they went in and ransacked the city. They took the women and they just laid waste to everything. And they were doing it, they thought they were doing it to avenge their sister's dignity. But really, they were committing the same act of violence that had been committed against her. So he was also involved, obviously, in the plot to get rid of Joseph. And Jacob was just not a fan. Jacob wasn't a fan. So in Genesis, um, it's Genesis 4, no, Genesis 49, verse 6 and 7. In Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing um, his sons, except Levi and Simeon, and there was one other. And so some of them, he had these really wonderful things to say about them, and you know how um, the one was going to live by the shore, and it was just all of these wonderful things. And then it came to Simeon and Levi, and he said, Simeon and Levi are two of a kind, ready to fight at the drop of a hat. I believe this is the message translation. I don't want anything to do with their vendettas. I want no part of their bitter feuds. They kill men in fits of temper and slash oxen on a whim. A curse on their uncontrolled anger, on their indiscriminate wrath. I'll throw them out with the trash. I'll shred and scatter them like confetti throughout Israel. Thanks, Dad. That was awesome. Go in peace. I mean, he's, it says that their descendants will be scattered like confetti. Have you ever tried to clean up confetti that's been scattered all over the place? Last year, we had a birthday party for Emma, and we got these balloons. I got these cute little balloons, and one had confetti in it, and some of them had like these, and they, it wasn't little confetti. They were little round Austin. Somehow, 
the balloon met the popcorn ceiling, and there were confetti pieces all over the house. I'm not kidding. I think six months later, I was still finding little confetti pieces under a rug, in a toy, stuck to the bottom of my foot. I'm like, are they multiplying somewhere in here? I don't understand, but they're impossible to gather back up. And he said, I am going to scatter you. You are going to be scattered like confetti. Um, Moses was part of this lineage. And we, I mean, Moses was a great man, but Moses also disqualified himself a lot. You know, he went, um, one of the first things he did was actually repeating what his ancestor had done. He killed the Egyptian soldier, and then he realized, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done that. He thought he was avenging his, his fellow Hebrew, but then he realized, no, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. So then later he goes and he's, um, God starts talking to him out of the burning bush. Um, Austin was watching some videos and he saw that and he goes, why was the bush burning? Why was the bush talking? I'm like, oh, <laughs> hard questions from a four-year-old. Um, and he, you know, he had every excuse in the book. He said, you know, well, what if they don't believe me? You want me to go? First of all, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And why would the Israelites believe me? And, you know, I'm really not very eloquent. Can't somebody else do it? I stutter and stick my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Isn't there somebody better to do this? And God said to tell them when he went to say, he said, he said to Moses, he said, I am the I am. And when you go, say, I am sent me. So we see Levi starting out not great and his descendants being scattered over the earth like confetti. We see Moses making his excuses about why he is not the right one. He's, he's not the right one for this position. But then an interesting thing happens and there's a golden calf Moses finally, Moses finally owns up to what God wants him to do. God gives him Aaron to help him, which ends up being a blessing and a curse. But he goes, they get the Israelites out of Egypt, and things transpire, and they decide to build a golden calf. And Moses is up on the mountain. He comes back down. He's like, Aaron, what did you let my people do? This is insane. Why are you worshiping a golden calf? And at this point, the Levites actually step to the side of God. And they stand with Moses and they say, what do we need to do? And they were actually instructed to go and slaughter people. So now they're actually doing exactly what their forefather had done. But at this point, they're doing it with God's vengeance in mind and not their own. So they had this, this independent, um, strong, vengeful personality of Levi had been channeled for the good of the kingdom, for the good of God. And that day, the Israelites were set apart to the service of the Lord and to the service of the temple. 
So this is what I really want to get to this morning about our place. Because the Levites, they, each family of Levites had a job. They had a responsibility. You know, here they are in the desert. They're wandering around. They're following the cloud or they're following the pillar of fire. And every time they moved, all of the pieces of the tabernacle, everything had to go and follow. And the Levites were responsible for taking different parts. One family might be responsible for a lampstand. Another family might be responsible for the bowls of incense. Another family might be responsible for the tent poles. So they had to take their piece and move it. And when they set up camp again, put it where it belonged. If one of the families forgot the tent pole back at the last location, then part of the tent was going to sag. If another family forgot a lamp, then it was going to be hard maybe to make sacrifices. If the bowl of incense wasn't there, then it wasn't complete. They didn't have everything they needed to fulfill the purpose of the tabernacle. We each have a part to play like that. We have a part to play like that here in the church. We have a part to play like that in our families. We have a part to play in our community, in our jobs. There is something that only we can bring. That's what I really liked some, that resonated with me in that prophetic word, was there are positions that only I can fill. There are positions that only Anna can fill. There are positions that only Donna can fill. There are positions that you, only you, can fill. It's not a tile. It is a puzzle piece, and you are the perfect fit for that puzzle piece. And so there's all sorts of things that the enemy tries to bring to convince us that that, that piece isn't really needed, that that piece is replaceable. But God is saying we need to be in place. We need to be in position so that everything can function the way it's supposed to. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if there was a tent pole missing on the temple, they probably still could have performed their duties. It might have been a little awkward, but they still could have done it. Being able to fulfill the ultimate purpose of the tabernacle, they needed all of those pieces together. And it's the same for us. If we're out of our place, if we're out of our positioning, if we're not showing up to fill that place, things can still go on. But can they go on to the fullness that God has called us to walk in? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to, maybe if you don't know what your position is, you don't know what to step up to. So the first thing is to say, God, what is my position? What is my purpose? What is my calling? Am I there to hold things up? Am I there to shine light? Am I there to help to help the worship go forth. What am I called to do? What is my purpose? And then if you know what it is and you're not stepping up, then it's, okay, God, help me. Help me see what's stopping me from doing this. Help me see what's stopping me from stepping into position and saying, I'm ready to fill my place. We are living in weird times. Weird. But God is doing something. And I can't help but think that God always does things 
completely opposite of how we expect them. Completely opposite. I mean, I think you could look through history. You can th look through the Bible and see that God almost never does things the way people think he's going to. I mean, Jesus is a prime example of this. The Jews were convinced that Jesus was going to come as a king and overthrow the government, and then life was going to be hunky-dory forever. But that's not what happened at all. Jesus came, he did some overthrowing, but it was an overthrowing of the corrupt religious systems. You know, when he rebuked people, he rebuked those religious leaders that were corrupt and that were so stuck to the law that they didn't really know God. When he was overturning tables, it wasn't random tables in a market. He was overturning the tables in the temple that had been set up and were defiling the temple of the Most High God. So we need to get rid of our preconceived notions of what God is doing because his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Thank God. Oh my gosh. I mean, seriously, if things had turned out some of the ways that I thought they should over my life, we just, meh. Thankfully, God knew what I needed. He knew where I needed to be. He, needed, he knew who I needed in my life. So as we close, how are we doing? Are we playing? What are we doing? Okay, thanks. <laughs> we didn't cover this part. Um, I just want you to take a moment and ask yourself, number one, do I know, do I know what my purpose is, what my part is? Number two, if you know, then I want you to ask, am I doing it? Am I showing up? Am I bringing my lampstand? This applies in all areas of our lives, but if you look at it from an aspect of Sunday morning service, what is your lampstand that you should be showing up with? Is it to be a welcome, part of the welcome team at the front door? Is it to be in the nursery? Is it to be on the worship team? Is it to be serving in hospitality? Or is it just to be someone that's encouraging, listening to God, and sharing that encouragement for the person next to you or behind you or on the other side of the room and obeying and doing it. I can tell you a lot of times I've felt like I had something to share and I didn't because I thought, hmm, somebody can do it better than I can. Somebody's going to say it better. Somebody's going to, somebody else will do it. God, give it to someone else, please. And I probably missed out on an opportunity, not just for that person, but also for me. What about in your family? Is there something that you need to step into in your family that will change the dynamics? Is there something that you need to change? I thought it was interesting in that prophetic word. She talked about these people just started showing up at her door, the ones that she knew needed to be there that had gone away for whatever reason. And she said, she had to apologize. So is there something 
you know, this is very self-reflective because we need to know what's stopping us from fulfilling what God's called us to. So God, I just thank you for bringing us into alignment with your place and your position for us. Lord, show us. Show us what our lampstand is, God, and help us. Give us the strength. Give us the courage. Give us the boldness, God, to overcome the obstacles, to overcome where we've disqualified ourselves and to step into that position so that your name can be glorified. God, we want everything we do and say to point back to you, to point people back to the kingdom. And God, I thank you. I pray that you would just work in our hearts, Lord. Show us, God. Speak to us. And let us see where we belong. In Jesus' name.